You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, that can mean only one thing with a cadence call like that. Uh, I love my Jodies. And anyway, it's time for David's Pick on America's Web Radio, and we appreciate you tuning in today for our very special guest. And it's uh, retired Colonel Lee Ellis, Jr. And uh, Lee's been on before, and we wanted to have him back. The response was great uh, the first time Lee was on. And uh, welcome back to America's Web Radio, Lee. Thank you, David. Good to be with you. Well, it's, uh, you know, we love our veterans here at America's Web Radio and appreciate the service and what you all did. And uh, as we go forward, want to remind everybody that uh, the show is sort of uh, is sort of uh, dedicated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, which is downtown Atlanta, right across the street from the Capitol in the Floyd Building, and uh, also the uh, JC that's Johns Creek Healing Wall, which is a fifty percent replica of the veteran uh, Vietnam Veterans Wall in Washington D.C. And uh, it's open. You can go out there 24-7 and take a look at it. And they are going to be building a kiosk very shortly where you can type in uh, a friend or a relative's name and find out exactly where it's located on the wall. And uh, I, Mike Mazell is the president of the Johns Creek Veteran, uh, Vietnam Veterans Association. He's done a fantastic job in Johns Creek and getting the wall up and and uh, doing other stuff. We got a surprise coming up uh, very shortly that uh, we'll be announcing. And then also, I have to, if I had, well, some people think I don't even have one head, but if I had two or three, I know that I'd tip all the hats off to uh, Rick White, who is the um, executive director of the Georgia Veterans Military Hall of Fame, and uh, Rick just does a wonderful job and puts up with me calling and harassing him about guests and so forth, but uh, Rick is a a fabulous man and uh, just does one heck of a job, and all of us do it for you so we don't forget our veterans. I uh, and our flag and the United States of America. We're going through some times now, and I generally don't get too political on this this particular show, but we're going through some times now where another country, another political group, or whatever you want to call them, is very stealthily trying to take over our government and take over our country. And uh, I know that most of the veterans that I do know are standing up to this, and they will stand up to it. We're not going to give our government up. We're not going to give our country up for anything. And uh, I, I don't know of a veteran that I've talked to that if the 
situation came about that they wouldn't re-enlist in a heartbeat and do what they had to do to protect our country. So with that being said, again, Lee, thanks for coming back on. Uh, you know what it is to live under communism. You know what it is to uh, have been a, a, I guess you were a registered guest at the Hanoi Hilton, correct? Yes, I was registered. I, at least I had a number. Uh, <laughs> they gave me a pair of black pajamas and a t-shirt. It was uh, kind of like a doctor's or nursing smock and a pair of shorts. But they put numbers on all of them, and my number was TU390. So uh, I guess that registered me right there in the Hanoi Hilton, which also is our name for Hualo, which is the French prison built in the 1890s. It was a Bastille prison, mm -hmm. and uh, we survived it. Most all of us did, and came home uh, after years. I... I have a friend, uh, Dr. Larkin, that uh, uh, Obama put in our jail, and uh, he was Terry uh, uh, Terry Lakin. I, I said Larkin, Lakin, and uh, Terry uh, served six months, but he wrote about it, and uh, I, I can be claustrophobic in my own house, much less... Uh, something like the Hanoi Hilton or even um, uh, Busting Rocks in Kansas. And he, he was, Terry was totally mistreated by Obama and the Obama administration. But uh, he wrote about the fact that everything was fine until night and he'd hear the, the doors lock. And when he heard that click of the, of the door locking, uh, you know, he knew he was there until morning and wasn't going anywhere. And, yeah, uh, yeah you must have experienced some of the same th thoughts and pains that uh, Terry did. Yeah, you know, that's one thing. When you've been locked up like that, you don't forget. It's the sound of those big old keys rattling, mm -hmm. especially if it's at a time that is not normal, you know, of the normal administrative day we had to go out in the mornings and empty our bucket. We didn't have a bathroom. We had a three-gallon bucket, and thank goodness it had a lid. Empty that bucket or to pick up our bowl of uh, rice and soup uh, twice a day. Uh, otherwise, it was probably not going to be fun if the keys were rattling and if they opened your door. And, you know, those noises carry well in those uh, old buildings, and uh, that could make your stomach start running... Um, like rats running around in your stomach when you heard those keys rattling and got closer and then they opened your door and it wasn't the normal time to go do something. You knew it was probably going to be an interrogation. You didn't know when you were going to come back. So that was a, a pretty exciting time and uh, probably about as much fear as, you know, you want to have. Mm. So what... <laughs> I know you all were, or I say you all, uh, the other prisoners, you and the other prisoners uh, communicated with the uh, TAP code and so forth, but if you had one thing that got you through it, what, what would it be? Well, I'd say, first of all, my faith uh, was very strong. You know, when you, it's one thing to feel like you're in control of day-to-day -day life, but when you're actually depending on your enemy for your food and shelter, 
the same ones that are torturing you, but you're also depending on them for your food and shelter, you know that you're not in control of very much at all, and you start looking up. And uh, I had a strong faith going in, but that was, you know, when I didn't get killed in the ejection and the capture process and the trip north to Hanoi where I was the victim of several riots trying to get to me, Unfortunately, I had a good soldier and his squad protecting me. But when I made it through that, I decided, you know, kind of like Ronald Reagan when he got shot, you know, that God's got something else for me to do. I'm still here, so now my job is to do my duty and to be a good soldier, be an honorable soldier and survive this thing and uh, do the very best I can to do that and do my part. And so... That's kind of the attitude or philosophy I operate on, and I think most of the guys did, is we made it. A lot of our friends didn't make it. Uh, so many of them didn't. And we knew that we still were alive, and we had to stay in the battle. You know, our our warfare had changed. Combat for us had gone from being air-to-air and air-to-ground to being uh, face-to-face. And so it was just a different war, and... So, but my faith was really the most important thing. Secondly, I think, uh, you know, just being trained in the military and having a military mind and being uh, committed to that was very important. Third would obviously be the great leadership we had there. Uh, and that's what I wrote about it in my 2012 book, Leading with Honor, is the principles of leadership I learned there. So we really learned a lot. And then the team, just having camaraderie and teamwork, even though... We were, it was all covert and they tried to isolate us. We fought hard to stay connected. So those were some of the key things that enabled me to hang in there and uh, make it through. You know, I'm a believer and, and, uh, well, certainly believe in, in the faith to go forward, but, uh, and I don't mean to be questioning your faith at all, but, uh, under those circumstances, there had to be a why me God. And I would think, but if you, if you got past that and, and didn't question and just went on faith, then, you know, uh, he was, he meant to take care of you and he was going to take care of you. And it was just a matter of, uh, whether it's today or tomorrow and that, uh, he gave you the strength to make it from day to day. And I think, uh, you're you're a good man, and uh, I assume that uh, you feel that way every day right now. I do, I do. I, uh, you know, if you whatever your faith is, I think it's always a battle to actually live it, especially when you have a faith, you know, that's based around. You know, I'm a Jesus follower, I guess you'd say, mm-hmm. and uh, is to honor God, to love God, and to love your fellow man. And uh, that really encompasses everything. And But that is not easy, you know. We're human beings, and we're living uh, in this world of uh, temptation, battles, pleasure, fun, work, responsibility, all of that. And so, you know, it's a, it's a battle every day, and uh, I, I engage in that battle, and some days I do better than others. But... Uh, I'm just thankful to be alive and to be able to engage. And I think, I think we realized that we were alive and we could have been dead so easily. I mean, you know, you jump out of an airplane 
over enemy territory. Well, first of all, jumping out of an airplane going four or five hundred miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of guys, a lot of guys got broken up badly, you know, um, and they didn't have any real medical care until we came home. I mean, they just healed. Uh, they, wow. um, there were a few guys that were really in bad shape uh, that were probably not going to make it if they hadn't done something. So they did a little something, but they didn't fix them up, and they had to get surgery and get fixed up when they came home. You know, there were guys up there that had either broken bones from their ejection or got shot in the ankle or leg or somewhere uh, in being captured whose wounds oozed uh, little pieces of blood, uh, pieces of bone, and infectious stuff for years. And yet they made it and came home. One of my buddies, his... Uh, his leg was two inches shorter than right leg was two inches shorter than the left one, and he um, he got home and got some good care and surgery, and they made him a boot that was two inches taller, and he put it on and went back to flying. <laughs> That's fantastic. So we learned that the human body is so resilient. I mean, it can die. It's 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 delicate at times, but overall, it is very resilient. And we bounced back from beriberi and, uh, oh gosh, just all sorts of wounds and everything. Of course, we were in good health. Now, you've got to be, to be a, mostly, we were mostly air crews. And to be, uh, an air crew, you know, you have to pass a lot of physical. So we're in pretty good health. Right. And that, it was kind of a unique crowd in that response, in that regard. Lee, I need to stop you for just a second and take a break, and uh, it, it's going to be a, a live break. In fact, all the breaks will be live uh, during our interview today, and it is just to remind everybody about the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame that's in downtown Atlanta, right across the street from the Capitol. That's the Gold Dome, and it's in the Floyd Building. And uh, if you haven't been there, whether you're from Atlanta or from who knows where in the United States and you're traveling into Atlanta, please take the time to go in there. And like uh, like our good friend uh, Colonel White, retired, says, bring your own box of Kleenex. And uh, you'll read stories about, you may even read some stories about your relatives from Georgia or wherever they happen to be from and were living or lived in Georgia at one time. But it is a very moving thing. And uh, at the same token, your kids need to find out about their relatives. And uh, you just never know who's going to be in that closet when you open the door. And the same way with uh, going to the healing wall in Johns Creek. It's open 24-7. And uh, as I mentioned, they'll be setting up a kiosk that will have a computer and be able to tell you where exactly the name you're looking for is, and uh, both of them. And then there's uh, also uh, Peachtree Creek that has a memorial to Vietnam veterans. And Georgia is doing a lot to support veterans, and uh, we're proud uh, as America's Web Radio to be a part of it. And uh, respect your veterans and respect your people that are the folks that are on active duty, be they first responders or if you see someone, someone in a military uniform and uh, airport, train station, wherever it might be, if you get an opportunity, say thank you. And if you get an opportunity to buy them a meal, do it. And uh, we need we need our military, and they need our support today more and more. Um, 
they are under attack uh, like you wouldn't believe, and it's a shame. They're the ones that keep us free, keep us on the air, and able to talk and talk to you. So with that being said, you know what giving up freedom is, don't you, Lee? Yes, I do. I, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to give up physical freedom, though, but it's a, but it's a, it's another thing to give up your mental freedom, and so even though we were locked up, you know we worked hard to stay free in our minds that we believed. Uh, obviously, we had to deal with the the crisis of the moment, so to speak. But we also believed that uh, we had freedom of choice, and we had to make those choices. Sometimes they were very hard choices. Sometimes we had to suffer and pay the price for those choices, but. We believed in what we were doing. We believed that was the right thing to do, and uh, we did our best. And you know, that taught me so much about life that serves me well today. In fact, when I came home from the war, I was uh, within six months. They met a major's board. I was a captain, and they promoted me two years early to major, which surprised and almost scared the hell out of me. <laughs> uh, actually, I was so happy. I was just you know, I'd been home just a little while, and I was just getting, had just gotten requalified for flying. Was about to go to my first real assignment after I got back from the war, and I get a call on Thanksgiving weekend from a retired from from an active duty colonel friend of mine who was a POW. He said, "Lee, I just uh, want to let you know it's still confidential, but it'll be out next week." I was on the major selection board, and we promoted you and a few of the captains uh, early to the rank of major. And I thought, well, thank you, sir. Appreciate that. And, you know, it was just one of those things that uh, it was just so hard to believe. But what I figured out later was in my career that the experience I had there that uh, really set me able to what I could do uh, in life and enabled me to be a good leader in the Air Force. Lee, let me ask you, and I had meant to while we were talking about it just a few minutes ago, but did the did the uh, interrogators and uh, and your enemy try to influence your belief uh, and try to say, oh, well, your God's not going to help you or whatever? No, what they did was they wouldn't give us the Bible uh, for years, and so that's that's really all they did. They uh, they didn't try to get into that. They were not that sophisticated. Uh, you know, they were smart people, but they weren't sophisticated in terms of understanding all that, I think. And they didn't, you know, they were generally didn't believe either. Uh, there were a few of them, I'm sure, that were a few Catholics there. You know, French, had, there was a French colony, a few Catholics there, but they're more likely to have been Buddhists or something like that, you know, or just atheists. Um, Sure, the ones that were educated in communism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so, when you got back, was was it the United States that you had left? Well, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no, because the culture had kind of gone crazy while we were gone. Remember. I was captured in 67. That was kind of the beginning of oh, yeah. <laughs> the uh, run-up for the late 60s and the many things that happened during that time when the culture kind of started going a little bit crazy. And so we came home, and uh, there were a lot of things that were quite different that we had to adjust to. And 
Uh, of course, some some of our friends were very anti-war, and of course we've been in the war. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think we understood, and we actually defended people's right to be against the war. Our enemy, the communists, would kind of throw that in our face about every day. You know, well, all these people are against the war. That makes the war wrong, and you should admit that you're a war criminal and. Uh, the U.S. is all wrong in all this. And, of course, we would push back and say, well, no, we're a free country. You know, we're allowed, our citizens are allowed to protest the war and disagree with the government, but the government makes policies and we follow them and we're military. So we defended their, their, you know, the right of people to disagree with the war. We kind of moved on from that and didn't worry about it. And the POWs, when we came home, the war was over. And... The, we did not get the bad uh, reception that most veterans got spit on. They couldn't wear their uniform. They were just treated like dirt. The POWs, we kind of went back home to our little town or our base where people knew us, had been praying for us, wearing bracelets with our names on it uh, for all those years. And so we got a good reception coming home. But that helped us a lot, I think, to adjust uh, coming back. So I would say... Uh, you know, yeah, the culture was kind of a mess. What was so interesting was that people seemed to worry about, well, I only have one color TV or, you know, <laughs> my, my pickup truck is getting old. It's three years old. And they're worried about material things that we were just not interested in. And so uh, it just, it just uh, surprised us how materialist people were in uh, those days. And, uh, we weren't because, you know, we could carry everything we owned under our arms during those years and material things kind of faded off of our radar. So we came home able to live and operate with very few material things. The one big challenge I had was going shopping because I hadn't shopped in <laughs> almost six years. And so I was overwhelmed the first time I went in to buy cereal and groceries, you know, on the like, You've been in a cereal counter lately? No, you look up there, and there's all these brands of cereal. And I got a headache trying to figure out which one to buy. So finally, I had to adapt the philosophy of just pick one quickly. Don't waste a lot of time. Pick one, and if you don't like it, don't buy it again. And that's the way I operate in restaurants or anywhere else. You know, it's not life-changing. It's just one meal or it's one box of cereal. If you don't like it, buy a different kind next time. That's great. Do you have kids? Yes, uh, I do. Well, I got married a year after I got back, and oh, okay. my wife had two kids, seven and five, and then we had two, so we had a total of four and six grandchildren. So do you relate to them as far as uh, what you had been through? Or do you ever well, talk about it? Well, they know, but, you know, Dad is Dad more than, <laughs> more than <laughs> he is a, a POW or a military guy dad is more of a dad you know they sure they know that they seen people you know i've been honored and i've received a lot of attention because being a, a vietnam pow and they've seen that and they're impressed by it in a way but at the same time you know the dynamics of our relationship if you're a teenager you're going to rebel against your parents you're going to disagree <laughs> with them regardless of whether they're generals or admirals or privates it doesn't matter to them you know? yeah well, it's, uh, you know, do you uh, do a lot of uh, speaking at all? Yeah, I do. Uh, I didn't do any professional speaking really until 
my 2012 book came out, and then I joined National Speakers Association and became a professional speaker. So I do keynotes around the country. I've done keynotes in Asia. I've spoken on cruise lines uh, in Europe and uh, sailing over there and Asia. And uh, But I do a lot of corporate speaking. I do some in the military. So I've become a professional speaker, and now I just... A couple of years ago, after five years, I received the Certified Speaking Professional Award, so I have that badge now. So, and uh, that's pretty. That's been a pretty good accomplishment for me, and I enjoy it. I love sharing the message about leading with honor and about the lessons we learned in the POW camps. And you know what I found, David, is that it doesn't matter if it's teenagers or a uh, hundred nurses in the room at a hospital or CEOs and the National Association of Corporate Directors in Washington, D.C., they all enjoy the message and they like the lesson. So it's been a very rewarding experience for me. So in a, in a um, cliff note version, tell us about leading the leading with honor. Well, there uh, Without, well, I, don't, I don't want you to give away any of the... I want people to buy it and read it, and I think you had a message on that as well. Yeah. It has 12 uh, chapters, and each chapter is a lesson. Lesson number one, chapter one, is Know Yourself. So I talk about, uh, in every one of those chapters, I tell a war story, and then I have a transition. Here's a lesson about knowing yourself, or guard your character. That's another chapter. Here's a lesson, and then... Every chapter has that, and then here's how the lesson is being applied in today's workplace. And so I'll tell the story of one of my situations there that, uh, you know, it lets, them, uh, it lets them see how that's being applied in today's workplace. And then there's coaching questions at the end, end of every chapter. So it's a very practical leadership book, but it also it has a lot of stories, gives a lot of insights into the uh, Vietnam POW experience. And again, I don't want to get political or ask you anything that uh, is uncomfortable, but we, we've said on this show and, and other shows that with regard to what we're going through right now is on both sides, the terrorists and the politicians. It's my observation that most of them have never been in the military, and on both sides, the experience and the help they could get by being in the military, we wouldn't be facing some of the things that we're facing today. Uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think there's just a lot to be said about um, in the military about learning your duty and serving your country and honesty and integrity, uh, you know, your word is your bond, uh, those kind of things that would be so good for our culture. And the accountability and ownership. I am most worried about in our culture today because I don't think young people have been taught accountability. You see some of the things that are happening on TV. I read where this young 23-year-old guy was... Uh, Attacked, attacked a policeman at some demonstration, and he had a fully loaded weapon, and uh, he was biting and threatening the policeman. And I'm thinking, well, how could anybody think they can do that and get away with it? They've never been held accountable. They've never had consequences to their action. 
I mean, some of the things we see uh, happening in our culture where people are disrespecting others' property and so on, it just shows that they have, they don't fear any consequences. So that's my biggest concern. Uh, how can you have law and order if there's no consequences for breaking law and order? <laughs> you know, how can you do that? I think the military does a pretty good job of teaching that uh, because consequences come quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should. In fact, uh, one of the things as a leadership coach, I have to help certain people understand is you do have to hold people accountable and when you've done your best to help them succeed and they don't or if they're acting in a toxic way in the organization you need to take action to help them get on the right path get on course or you need to get rid of them or put the consequences on them so they understand that you know when you make choices there the consequences come they're either good or bad you know, this is, uh, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it's, I, I've never seen anything like this. And I, I, I was talking to uh, one of the folks here, and then about the fact that I just, well, in in fact, I was talking uh, to Doctor Shears that was in uh, doing his show this morning about the same thing that I, I would just like to grab one of the terrorists or grab one of the mayors or grab one of the politicians and say, you know, wh- wh- what are you thinking? You know, what what good does it do to throw a brick through a car, a cop car, anybody's car? What good does it do to, to steal? What good does it do to open your city up to crime and defunding the police? The last thing I want to do is defund, defund the police. I want to give them more. I... I wouldn't do what they they did, and we also support the fact that, uh, just like I said, I feel like everybody should go through the military. At the same token, I feel like everybody, and there's no reason that you don't or you can't, ride with a cop at night. Share a ride with a cop and find out what they really have to go through to protect you and your loved ones and your home and your business and everything else. And uh, we're very much call your police department and set up a time to go a schedule to go ride with a cop. And uh, anyway, uh, we're we're very supportive of them and very supportive of of a lawful country. And uh, I'm glad that we have who we have. A lot of folks don't like Trump, but at least he's on the side of law. And uh, these people that are on the side of communism, uh, hopefully they won't get their wish like what's happened in, in Venezuela. And uh, we're doing a show, uh, we do a show every Thursday afternoon. Uh, one to two is in English and two to three is in Spanish about exactly what's going on in Venezuela. And uh, let's talk Venezuelan. And we we see what happens they they have they have infiltrated our educational system just like they did in venezuela they set up socialism and i was always taught that socialism was one step away from communism and venezuela is certainly proving that so yeah it's uh we're it's a tough situation that people have been inspired to be angry about our country course they've never lived anywhere else and they don't really understand what it, yeah it's not perfect we got problems 
but we're working those problems and in the race the race issues i think we're working those very well right now i know everybody that i know personally uh is wanting to make that situation better for black people african americans and they're working they realize that you know they have not been treated properly in so many ways we think they have white people generally think they have because that's our intention but the reality is uh, you know it's interesting that so much if you watch the evening news in most any city local news you know you can see a lot of negative stuff about black people and then people wonder why well why do white people have negative perceptions about black people well the the media actually has been painting that for us for many years so but the reality is that's not helpful and so we have i got i'm getting together with my black friends and we're talking through and I'm listening to what I'm doing. I'm listening to them share with me what they've been through. And I think all white people need to be doing that. But we're all going to have to stand up and take responsibility, uh, the black people for the inner cities, where they have more influence than we do, us for other areas that have been raised problems that white people unknowingly have contributed to. So I think we can work through this, but, you know, rioting and getting revenge and ripping up things and stealing and knocking down and threatening people is not the way to go. And that's the evil portion that's coming alive in our country right now. That's not racism. That's not anything but evil. When you go in and tear somebody else's stuff up, when you threaten people in uh, old ladies and people in uh, wheelchairs, that is nothing but evil, and we need to be clear about what's evil, and both parties, both right and left, need to agree on some things are important and need to be dealt with, but evil is evil, you know? And I think you saw that in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. Many many times uh, more than you, uh, you would like, and it's, uh, I agree with, totally everything that you said and uh, just as our faith works in uh, many ways in different ways and mysterious ways uh, the other side of the coin is always working against that and trying uh-huh. to uh, stir people up and uh, and cause people to lose their faith and uh, you know we've got problems and every country has problems but uh like you said, we can overcome those problems, but it starts by you have to be able to communicate. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's two sides to every coin, too. And, and I agree totally with what you've said. However, I think there's, uh, the other side of the, the coin, too. Uh, you know, the, the old saying of, uh, give them an inch and they take a mile. Well, you know, the, uh, there's a there's a disparity on on both sides today, and uh, yeah. it's uh, that needs to be addressed as well. Uh, and it, 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 well, we had a doctor uh, shares this morning on uh, the doctor's lounge did a memorial to uh, Herman Cain, and uh, I had met Herman a couple of times, and uh, obviously I didn't know him well at all. But uh, Dr. Shears does and did, and uh, 
what he said about him uh, was incredible. And uh, the media gave more attention to John Lewis and Herman Cain died on basically the same day. And uh, the media gave all the attention to to the death of uh, one and no attention to the death of the other. And yet um, John Lewis, in reality, other than being a, a uh, politician all of his life, uh, never accomplished a damn thing, whereas Herman Cain... His accomplishments were so many that it was almost hard to list. And and one of his biggest was the fact that his belief in that you can do anything you want to do in the United States if you want to bad enough. And that was that was his goal and, and his teaching was that, yes, we have some differences, but we can all overcome them if, and we can do anything that we want to do. And... Um, General Dix, that's a friend of ours, uh, he's he's proven that point over and over again as well. And uh, we just need to come together, as they say. Yeah, yeah, I, I think we we do. But here's the thing, right now, I think uh, I wrote a, I, I do a monthly um, blog, and uh, focused on leadership, and then I do a monthly video coaching. They're both free on our website. Um, and the video is usually five or six minutes. The last month I only did about four minutes, but both of them, they usually go together on the same subject. And, uh, in June, I, in July, I did, uh, focus toward race and getting together and listening and becoming aware of what the issues are and working together. And then, but then this month of August, I focused on discernment of the message. Because there's some messages out there right now that are very misleading. Uh, the message, there's some truth in the message, but the, but there's a big push behind the message that is very, uh, insidious and even evil that needs to be sorted out. And so before you jump on board on something, you need to know what is the motivation underneath a little bit of truth and then all this other emotional message you got to make sure you understand. In the communist prison camps, they were always uh, throwing us propaganda three times a day. Every cell has speaker in it, and we got shattered with that propaganda every day. Well, here's what it was. A little bit of truth, something did happen, but the overall package was really a lie. And so that is what people do when they don't, when their message is not strong enough to convince people and carry its own weight, they take a little truth and then package it into uh, uh, an emotional lie, and then they try to win you to their cause. And so that's what my blog and my coaching was this month, is we have to listen and look for the truth, and then well, we have to be discerning and sort out the motivation underneath the total message, and then we have to take a stand to stand for truth and have the courage to do that. Uh, uh, taking what you just said one step further, uh, and and this is both biblical and uh, and factual, and uh, one of the biggest hurts today. And again, I, I think this is uh, 
what we're living under uh, by Satan, the evil one, uh, trying to separate and destroy us as a country and as a people and and as individuals, and that's taking our right away to meet and in our churches. And uh, we can do all the telecommunication that you want, but it's not the fellowship and the feelings. And the, let me, okay, with that regard, uh, it, you didn't make, and I'm, I'm being very presumptuous, but you didn't make it through the Hanoi Hilton for the time that you were there by yourself in my opinion and and you go on no, probably no. to explain it a lot that the the uh they could take they could not give you a bible they could say whatever they wanted to say but with the fellowship and camaraderie that you had with the other prisoners helped get you through it from one day to the next yeah that's true uh camaraderie and fellowship i call it community uh, a lot of times in my leadership training is that without community, um, resilience goes down. And it's hard to really stay connected with who you are and what your mission is when you're all alone. Because when you're all alone, all your old lies about yourself and others start creeping in and you start losing perspective of things. And you need to be in a community that can encourage you but also correct you as you're going along and so community is very important, and I do think it's uh, it's a tough situation right now. But it doesn't uh, it doesn't make sense that it's okay for people to go out and protest uh, side by side with each other, but you can't go to church and sit with six foot spacing. It just seems a little bit uh, illogical, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I haven't heard a good explanation on that one yet, but I do understand that the need to uh, to protect our health, but I also understand that people make choices. And, uh, you know, we've had other health issues. We've had uh, many viruses come through before, and this one we don't have a, a vaccine for. But, you know, we're probably going to end up losing about the same number that we would from the other viruses uh, in our culture. So... I don't know. It's just how everybody's got to sort that out themselves. I happen to be old, and I'm not. I'm I'm pretty physical. I mean, I can go out and run and ride my bike and do my 22 push-ups for the veterans every day if I need to. But still, uh, I don't want to expose myself too much, so I do pick and choose on it. But I, I agree, getting together with people of your faith uh, is something that's going to be very important in our society. Uh, hey, know. I wanted to mention. Sure. I just wanted to mention, uh, going back to, uh, we talked about the leading with honor and the lessons there. Uh, you know, there's a chapter on resilience. There's a chapter on bouncing back. It's about bouncing back. And there's another one on fighting to win and how to do that. You know, being competitive and standing for what you believe in. All that to say, that book, am not, not at our, uh, Insistence. In fact, we didn't know about it until the last week of July. But that Leading with Honor book is on Kindle this month for 99 cents. So uh, we're not making any money on it, I can tell you that. And Amazon's not making much. It's just one of their promotions that they pick and choose which books to do that with. And so the Leading with Honor is on Kindle this month for 99 cents for the month of August. 
and I would recommend highly everybody downloading it, get it, and, and read it. And, uh, you know, back to our uh, discussion of, of uh, you know, what the pandemic's done and and, uh, and the relationships, and I, I'm not a doctor, don't claim to be, but at the same token, I know how important mental health is to our physical health. And uh, when you've taken away the fellowship and the mental health that you receive by being with your peers, then you're going to lose your physical health as well, no matter what you do. It's uh, If you've got a mental, you know, you're going to bed with worry and waking up with worry, then it's it's going to it's going to affect your your physical health as well. So the sooner we can get back to a clean and good mental health situation i think we'll we will have overcome the virus and any side effects it might have and again that's only my opinion but uh yeah. uh i feel very strong well, I about that I, I think that's right you know what we learned in the pow camps was uh, the importance the power of being connected and we would risk our lives to connect with somebody uh who was in isolation solitary confinement uh, in another part of the camp or whatever, we would we would take great risk to get to them and say, "Man, we're proud of you. Hang in there. You know, you're one of us. We ain't leaving without you, buddy. Uh, you're doing great." And those kind of things, which we meant, but we wanted them to know that you know they were not alone, and no matter what the enemy tried to do to them, that we were there with them and we were going to stand with them. The other thing, though, is is that made such a big difference for us was our leaders who really um, went through the worst. They didn't have any corner offices and good deals and perks. They went through the worst torture, the most isolation. Our top three uh, leaders there were in solitary confinement for, or they were there seven and a half years. They got there two years before I did. But they were in solitary confinement for four out of their seven and a half years. Now, think mm. about that. Oh. Well, they came home and uh, took off and did a great job. Not only did they do a great job there, but they came home and did well. And two of them lived to almost 90, and one died earlier with, at 82 with Alzheimer's. But their example and their encouragement and their authenticity was so powerful for us and I think that's what we need today is we need people who are good leaders, who are good examples, good role models to take us through these conditions that we're in right now, dealing with the change, dealing with the challenges that we're all facing. We need people that are honest, that tell the truth, that own who they are and own the situation and don't try to spin it. And that's what really is spin is running our society and it's in all sides uh we just need to deal with the realities and we don't always know exactly what's going to happen and don't always know exactly the best choice but we sort it out and make the best choice we can and then move ahead you know uh, we need the title of your book leading with honor and uh, you know it's uh it's a sad scenario when you can't say I respect and and honor everybody in Congress. Uh, uh-huh. 
and and I don't. I can't. Uh, I, you know, we all we we live in the most wonderful country in the world where we can have our own opinions and express them when we go and vote, and uh, yet. You know, I've, I've passed the question by many times or in my own head of the people that are expressing themselves today. I wonder if they went and voted, you know. And uh, I learned a long time ago that, and frankly, I, have me- I haven't missed any national elections, but I have missed some local elections. And... Uh, I don't say anything about it if I didn't vote. And uh, uh-huh. I, I feel very strongly about this. Uh, you have no right to complain about anything if you didn't vote and support the candidate that you felt like would do the best job. And uh, uh-huh. we have that, uh, that and that's <laughs> leading with honor. I, I, if our country could come back to that in a heartbeat, uh, the, we'd turn the country around in a heartbeat. You know, the, uh, the approval rating of Congress is 17%, and it's been there. It's been under 20% for the last 15 or 20 years. 17%. Think about that. And the reason is, I think, because they're not trustworthy. They are not honorable, consistently, doing what's best for the country, and... Too often what we see them doing is being influenced by money and politics and power. They're afraid they're not going to get reelected. They're afraid they're going to lose power. They're afraid the party won't jump with them. And so they, they get into things and proceed on things that are just not in the best interest of the country. And people see that. What's interesting, though, is people keep voting them back in. Isn't it? So yeah. there's no accountability. You know, it's like being a professor and have tenure. There's no accountability. It's like working for the government. It's very difficult to fire a civil service employee. Mm-hmm. And 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 there's a there's a joke. Uh, you know, uh, your odds as a civil service employee, your odds are higher of dying a heart attack at work than of being fired. And uh, when you don't have accountability, people think they can do whatever they want to do and they're not going to be held accountable, well, human nature is human nature, you know? Sure. If I didn't think there's accountability out there, I'm sure I would have gotten off track a long time ago. Uh, I get off, still get off track some, but I correct back quickly. I have people around me to help me with that. But human nature, just look at all the great leaders of the world. I mean, has there ever been a great leader that didn't get off track and do dumb things? No. We're all human beings. So without accountability, it just gets off track and keeps going and keeps going, and you know. Well, I think one of the, uh, I know from my standpoint, this. I'm sorry because this isn't the way the interview should go. We should be talking about you, what you went through, and and uh, I've gotten off track, just as you said, and I apologize to you, Lee. Uh, you've got a. You've got a very important story to tell, and you've written about uh, what you learned out of it, and this is the important thing. And uh, as far as what our politicians are doing today and where we are today, I still have my faith that it will turn around and that uh, 
the end game will justify the means. And uh, I think in your book, you you lay out some very good points about what honor is and what honor isn't. And uh, I think the if we ever get to a point that we have honorable candidates running, the country will turn around. And uh, I, I've well, been amazed I, at some of them that have won, and they go to D.C., and what changes them? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think most of the people who get elected are pretty honorable people, but politicians do tend to be very uh, fearful and of their position and their name and reputation and so on. Uh, but I think most of them get elected are probably pretty good people. But you get up there, and the, the way the system works in Washington, D.C., uh, is uh, it's just kind of theft, and it's hard to break out of that, you know. Uh, you know, think about all the junk mail you get every day. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. They get, you get all that junk mail because it comes at a very low cost to mail it. Well, why does it come so low cost? Because of the direct mail lobby in Washington, D.C., what do they do? They pour a lot of money into those congressmen, senators, to keep those prices down, even though the post office runs about a, a several, I think, billion-dollar debt, but millions of dollars in debt every year. It doesn't, it doesn't pay for itself and hasn't in many years. So that's the kind of thing. It's kind of the way they operate up there, and it's hard to turn that around when you're a new guy going in. You kind of have to go with the flow, and that's too often what happens. So um, I wanted to circle back because it has been a little bit negative at times, and you just made the, a good statement that you believe that we're going to come through this, and I do too, because I do believe there's enough honorable people that people will see the difference between right and wrong, and they will hold people accountable, and that we will be able to survive this, and we'll probably learn a lot from it. Uh I am concerned just about uh, civility and law and order, and that's the one thing that's got to be solved very very soon, uh, or we're going to be in bad shape. I think we can solve it. I think that everybody is going to everybody's going to get concerned. You know, the I think it was the mayor of Portland who's been so anti-police. All of a sudden, their home got threatened and. <laughs> By the by, the Antifa or one of those groups, and all of a sudden they're concerned about law and order. Uh, I think people are going of all left and right are going to get concerned about law and order when it threatens them. And I think we'll see some unity coming in from that direction. You know, this is uh, and going back to some of your earlier comments, but our country and and I, <laughs> you and I are the same age, but. I'm not sure where all of this came in or came about, but uh, I learned a lesson with my kids in private school. That something happened, and the attitude of the other parents was, well, it didn't happen to my kids, so why do you want to get me involved? And our our country, in many ways, until it till they're on your lawn, is if they're on the neighbor's lawn, then it doesn't concern me. If they're on my lawn... Now, I want my neighbor to help me, you know, right. and we have this attitude until it happens to me, then, well, you must have you must have done something to get them to come stand on your yard or driveway or whatever. When we, 
you know, we have to, you're, you made the point, community. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And neighborhoods have to get to know your neighbor and be ready to act if the occasion arises. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of power in unity. We've seen that from uh, we've seen that from evil, and now we need to see more of that from good. Absolutely, uh, very good you know, point. People standing together, whether they're on the right or on the left, but they're standing together for honor and for uh, our our way of life. Really, you mm-hmm. know, absolutely. And the people who think our way of life is so bad and feel like they need to correct it with violence. Uh, we need to show them that's not allowed here. I, I think we should. Uh, you don't like it here, then leave. Yeah. One of the things that I've done in uh, in just uh, the last six weeks, just a few weeks ago, one of my black friends recommended I go and listen to uh, and watch a video online uh, put out by a group at Ohio State uh, or organization related to Ohio State's uh, law school I think but it was uh, the whole thing was the letter that Martin Luther King wrote from the Birmingham jail and it's a very long letter he had plenty of time I understand I understand he had plenty of time on his hands because I've been there <laughs> locked up but he it was a wonderful letter and we could all benefit from that uh, seeing what his perspectives were how his faith played out in that his love of the country his love for others, but his courage and willingness to stand for what was right. And that's what he was doing. He was standing for what was right. He was put in jail, uh, battered and bruised, and eventually was assassinated. But, you know, Martin Luther King stood for what was right, and that's what we need all of our American people to just figure out what's right. We, you know, look at the Constitution, look at our way of life, look at your faith, what's right, and let's stand for that. Right. With that being said, we're going to have to uh, end the conversation. Uh, Colonel Lee Ellis, Jr., retired, and uh, he is also in the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, class of 2014, I believe. And uh, go down, look him up, and uh, we'll be back next week with more of David's picks. Lee, thank you again very much for being on today. Thank you, David. Great to be with you, and farewell to the audience. Thank you, sir. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.